Loose ball. Ewing goes up. The basket counts. He gets it over to the doctor. Tie ball game. Here's a shot, Julius. He, he scores! He scores! Anthony for three. Bang! That one goes down, and the game is tied! Here is Durant moving on Tucker. He turns. He shoots. Yes! Knicks, Nets, and all things across the association. This is Pick and Pod on WFUV Sports. Welcome to another episode of Pick and Pod. I'm your host, Riley Lucas, and I'm sitting here in the WFUV studio alongside Joe Masters and Will Jing. I mean, as we enter the second half of the season, I think we can all agree there has been some major shifts in the league. Some good, some bad, some just incredible. And to start, I want to talk about one of the biggest stories in the league right now, at least the biggest positive story, and that is the New York Knicks. I mean, Knicks fans everywhere are asking, is this real life? I myself am a Nets fan, but there's no way I can deny how incredible these uh, Knicks have been playing. In that Boston game, 131 to 129 in a double overtime. No Jalen Brunson, but... There is nowhere else we could possibly start other than with Emmanuel quickly. What did you guys think about that game? Yeah, I mean, I was studying for a midterm, and I was like, sure, I'll go watch the game with some friends. <laughs> and then I look up, and it's been like three hours, and we're in double overtime. And I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, it's an amazing game, but I got to study. But, no, it was, uh, I mean, a tremendous game for the Knicks. Going in there with no Brunson, you're feeling like, like, we just want to put up a good fight. And then once you get to that double overtime, it's like, okay, we cannot lose. Because you just this momentum of winning that game in the garden, the fake garden, I guess, here we're in New York. Got to call it the real <laughs> garden down in Manhattan. But, um, no, a terrific win for the Knicks. It would have been an amazing win even if they had Brunson and they didn't even have him. And then, obviously, someone has to step up. And for that, for the Knicks, it was uh, Emmanuel Quickly, who was just outstanding for them on both sides of the floor. And only one turnover. And essentially, he played the whole game. I mean, and that's amazing. Literally incredible. 38 points, which is a new career high for him. 15 for 28 on shooting, 5 for 12 from the three, eight boards, seven assists, a career high, which is also a season high playing time of 55 points in a game. Will, what did you think about his performance? Uh, I, like Joe, wasn't really going into that day anticipating watching the game. But then I saw the score and I was like, you know what? Let me, let me turn this on. Let me see what's going on. And. I think when I turned it on, it was it was heading into overtime, and I was like, "All right, I'm probably just gonna come in. Knicks are gonna blow it. It's like Boston's a top one or two seed. You're playing Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, um, just a really well-rounded team. Just went to the finals, and I I did not think the Knicks had what it took to pull it off. But I mean, just I feel like it was a really well-rounded team effort. Mm-hmm. They uh, Mitchell Robinson needs to step up his free throw shooting. I will say that." <laughs> It's a tough situation. I mean, it, the whole crowd against you, he's a center. I mean, yeah, it's tough for him. I mean, he still did have, like, a pretty good two-way effort. You he can't did. deny that. Yeah, but it's a, it's a, you're a professional basketball player, so I do think you need to stay. I agree. That's true. I agree. I'm always cracking down on people with the free throw shots. That is, like, the one thing I harp on. But overall, I mean, this team has made an insane turnaround. There's no denying that. Like I said, I'm a Nets fan, therefore I am a Knicks hater, but I can't hate on them right now. <laughs> that game... Just, it shocked me. It really did. I mean, the flying help side block on Jalen Brown from Emmanuel quickly, that was an incredible moment. In general, I think he's just an incredible defender, and he really proved that in this Celtics game. What do you guys think about him being sixth man of the year? 
I definitely think it's a possibility. And I mean, if the Knicks keep on winning, I mean, what's to what's to stop them from from letting him take home that award? But I just found it really curious how quickly included when Tom Thibodeau has switched up these rotations, this lineup of Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson, Isaiah Hartenstein, R.J. Barrett, and Emmanuel quickly has an offensive rating of 125. Mm-hmm. And just for some reference, the Kings have the highest offensive rating in the, uh, in the whole league, and they're at 118. So this this lineup is currently at a pace where they're better than the best of the league. So quickly, I think has played a large part in that. But his yeah, him him helping off the bench has also been a big, a big help to the Knicks as a whole. But we talk about his offense and the Knicks offense, but their defense has really mm-hmm. been the key to this hot streak, you want to call it. They've been stopping teams from shooting three well, and they've been rebounding a lot. And that's also going into the addition of Josh Hart, who's been just a menace on the boards. And that it's going with the Knicks team that's already really good at rebounding. And then you put that all together, and you have what you have right now, a nine-game win streak. Mm-hmm. I mean, to continue harping on Emmanuel quickly, the way he swung the game in the third quarter with his defense, I yeah. mean, that really shifted things. And to even, like, furthermore, the fact that he played 55 minutes and in the second overtime, he scored the first seven points. Like, to have that energy carry on throughout that game, I mean, that speaks volumes. And I I personally think he's very deserving of Sixth Man of the Year. What about you, Will? I think that as of right now, because there's still, you know, a couple months left in the season, so mm-hmm. we can't speak too soon. I mean, at the beginning of the season, Russell Westbrook was the favorite to win Sixth Man of the Year. Now he's fallen off the face of this planet in terms of this, you know, this award race. So I think right now you could say Emmanuel quickly is the favorite just because of his recent performances. He's uh, a really solid two-way player. But also the fact that right now I don't there there's no one really else to me in this race that has as much of a case or even that big of a case at all for this award because there's no one that has been like oh my god just you know just popping out to me in terms of who should win this award. So I think right now, if I was to, if I was a betting man, I would bet on Emmanuel quickly mm-hmm. to win the award. And when you look at it, they could have the sixth man of the year and the comeback player of the year with Jalen Brunson. Mm-hmm. So they could, Knicks could be taking home some serious hardware come the offseason. Yeah, I mean, incredible performances from the whole team. But I got to ask you guys, Emmanuel quickly, obviously, like we just said, so far has played incredible. But do we think that, you know, this is going to last? his playing time or is he going to be like a Kevin Knox type where we hype it up a little too early in the season and then we're left a little disappointed no because Kevin Knox was not even doing this or he was doing a small version of this in the summer league that mm-hmm. Amanda quickly is doing this on the road in Boston uh biggest game of the season not even for the Knicks but I mean in terms of overall impact and entertaining it's probably one of the games of the years across the whole league so I think Amanda quickly is here to stay and then when you look at that young core uh, Robinson quickly and Grimes are all 24 or below and they own four first this year of course there's some protections but eventually they're going to convert into actual draft picks or they're tradable assets so the Knicks are definitely in a position to not only win this year and I don't know if I'm saying they're going to win a championship I think that's too high of expectations mm-hmm. but they are definitely in a position to be comfortable for the future and the long and even past that long-term future I agree what about you Will um I think that for Emmanuel quickly I think this this it depends on how you look at it it will last in terms of he's not Kevin Knox because Kevin Knox was I like you said Joe he was never doing like any of this like he had a couple like oh you know flash in the pan moments but it it was never anything to the extent of Emmanuel quickly but I also don't think that we should expect him to 
put up the same performance that he did against Boston consistently because you have to remember this is still somebody that kind of was under the radar and then now is really starting to emerge as you know a potential sixth man of the year so I think we do still have to take into consideration that that fact and give him some time mm-hmm. I don't think he's going to be you know an all-star caliber player for probably another couple of years if that's what we're looking at. But the Knicks don't even really need him to be that type of player. They just need him to be a solid contributor off, yeah. off the bench, which he already is doing, and then some. So for right now, for his current role, he's exceeding expectations tremendously. Yeah. I mean, to have that strong of a lineup, these Knicks, and talking about where they came from too, I mean, since the trade deadline, the Knicks now have the second-best record second in net rating, fourth in offensive rating, and seventh in defensive rating. So much has changed, and I personally want to take this moment. I This is my apology because I myself have always been a Tom Thibodeau hater. I have grilled him. I have talked all the trash I can. I was saying fire him, yada, yada, yada. And I don't know if it's karma because look at my nets right now (laughs) and look at these Knicks, but I do think that I owe Tom Thibodeau personally an apology. I think the league owes him an apology. I mean, the Knicks transformed from a bottom 10 offense to a top five. I grew so tired of Tom Thibodeau very fastly. I wanted him out of there. I mean, it's warranted because at the time the Knicks were very disappointing, but I think the way things have turned around so fast, it has shown that, you know, we needed to give him a chance and we did. And I think he's doing great with this team right now. And Riley, it's not only you. I know Knicks fans that wanted Tom Thibodeau gone. <laughs> yeah. They hated Tom Thibodeau. They hate. I mean, if Knicks Twitter had their way, I think Jalen Brunson would. Be, I mean, not Jalen Brunson. Sorry, uh, Julius Randle would be gone. Uh, R.J. Barrett might be gone as well, and then Obi Toppin would be starting. But instead, and Tom Thibodeau would be long, long yeah. gone. Same with Leon Rose. But the the Knicks exuded patience, mm-hmm. and look where it's gotten them. They're, I mean, it's literally the definition of trust the process. Literally, he's changed so much personally. I mean. He's, you could tell by the way he coaches his team, he's a lot more authoritative. He's starting to finally punish those players for poor play and then benching them down the stretch. I think that's a really important thing instead of letting players who aren't deserving get minutes. He's really shifting the lineup. He has a strong rotation going. And like I said, I owe him a huge apology. I also think this goes to show, you know, I think when we look at the league, we're very quick to want to fire coaches or the turnaround in coaches in the NBA is honestly very fast. It feels as though if you mess up like five games, you're out of there. Like your job is always <laughs> on edge. Like you don't know what's going to happen, but he has been getting a lot of slack for a long time. Everyone's been yelling, get him out of here, get him out of here. And we gave him time and look what's happened with these Knicks. They're some of the best they've ever played in history. I mean, how do you feel about this? I don't think it's, it's usually the coach when people go you know go having a point of finger at somebody like we look at the lakers or frank vogel it was not frank vogel's fault we can see that now and i don't think that the next uh the next struggles were tom thibodeau's fault i i don't think he's you know per se the best coach in the nba i think he still has his flaws as we've seen over the years i mean he a lot of people blame him for the the d rose injury that happened a decade ago mm-hmm. a little over a decade ago but um people i guess a lot of times people just want someone to point a finger at and be like, you, it's your fault, and like you get out. Yeah. And as much as I don't think Tom Thibodeau um, is a perfect coach, I I don't agree with that mindset because it's not just the coach, it's the players, it could be the training staff, it could, it could be anyone or a number of people. I mean, one thing I'll say, one thing that great coaches do is they make adjustments. And yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I mean, I think some, some of their struggles in the beginning of the year 
you can attribute to him. But then he ended up, Tom Thibodeau ended up switching to a nine-man lineup, and look what it's done. They've basically had not played bad basketball since. So, mm-hmm. and I think especially in a market, you mentioned L.A., New York, too. The coach is always, they're losing, oh, it's the coach's fault, yeah. Frank Vogel. It's already happening with Darvin Ham and with the Lakers. In his first year, he's already getting calls to get fired. So, I think fans of these big market teams, so Knicks fans, I think there's uh, an ex- like an importance in being patient, and I think we're seeing why. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I agree with both of you to a certain extent, but then you also have situations, I mean, look at Steve Nash with the with the Nets. It's true. Right as he got fired, the Nets turned around completely. I mean, granted, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving at the time were on that team, but they were also there with Steve Nash's coach. There. So you kind of have to look at it as it really depends the situation. But in this case... At the end of the day, I think Tom Thibodeau proved this all wrong. And I guess the one difference there is with the Nets, there's the Kevin Durant-Kyrie dynamic, and you mentioned that slightly, where I, I guarantee you Kevin Durant, like if the Knicks had a player like Kevin Durant, a star player, and he mm-hmm. wanted the coach gone, like he wanted Steve, like that's going to happen. But the Knicks, like they don't, they don't really have a player that can kind of have that authority in the front office. So I think it comes down to the players on the roster, and then sometimes those players can dictate those type of decisions mm-hmm. i also think steve nash is a little bit different i mean the, the, he had no coaching experience before and you know in the nba now he just suddenly gets thrown That's into fair. you know this this chaotic situation with the brooklyn nets yeah so it, it is like i don't i don't think it's just make him blameless but i would say you know cut him some slack because i mean look at somebody like steve kerr he had no coaching experience and gets thrown into the warriors but guess what? That team is that team is cohesive. It's a it's a great team, Very and good point. he could decide. Like he had games where he was like, "Listen, you guys coach the game," and they won. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, that Nets team was so that roster was so yeah. Good. Like you have to like you had to win. Exactly. I mean that, but that's what I mean. Like the fact that they weren't with Steve Nash's coach. I, I get what you're saying. He kind of was thrown into it, and socially speaking, it was a messy situation over in Brooklyn. I think everyone knows that by now. But look at look at the stars on that team. I mean, to have two out of, like, the top ten best stars in the NBA on the same team and under Steve Nash's coaching to be losing like that, I mean, that was ridiculous. You could argue they had three with James Harden. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not all. (laughs) That that proves my point even more, you know? It's definitely not all his fault because when they actually were healthy and playing together, they were a really good team. It's just they never got to that point where they could all be on the court at the same time, healthy, Mm. ready to go for a full season or even a full playoff. So it's kind of painful i know for you riley just <laughs> yeah. to, to look at that i mean it's very painful i mean to wrap things up with the dicks they did have that win over against the celtics the nets also beat the celtics so i think we want to ask ourselves right now what is going on with the celtics they are currently on a three-game losing streak to the knicks your calves and <laughs> the nets i mean is this the start of their slow downfall or is this just a bump in the road no every every great team goes through some adversity and they're five and five in their last ten and I mean, take out two losses from the Knicks. So every team goes through adversity. This team was in the finals last year, so I know that they have that playoff experience. So I know it's gonna be they're gonna be fine when it comes to to playoff time. And they've been good in the clutch this year, which was a problem for them last year. So I know people want to have recency bias, looking at the most recent Knicks game, but it, no team can be the seventy three and nine Warriors again. So. Mm-hmm. You just got to have some patience, and I know Celtics fans uh, have high expectations, to yes. say the least, S- similar to New York fans. But, no, the Celtics will be fine, and come playoff time, I think it'll all be okay. I would say also that the Celtics are going to be fine. I think that, you know, the Cavs are, I, I'm not saying this because they're <laughs> my favorite team, but they're a good team, and the, it's not the first time Boston has lost them. I, th- I think 
um, like has actually beat the Celtics twice earlier this season. So um, to 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 lose to the Cavs is not. Um, I would I wouldn't say it's. I mean, if you lose three out of four, which they did, maybe come playoff time, that that is a, that is a warning sign. That's a red flag. But as far as just in general, I think they're still a great team. I don't think they have too much to worry about. Um, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are still playing really well. I mean, Jason Tatum is you know thirty, forty point games left and right. So I think that it's like you said, it's just a it's just a bump in the road. Um, I think what it's going to come down to is if they have this bump in the road come playoff time. That's fair. I mean, I guess the silver lining you can say is that they were in the finals last year. So you're you're saying hopefully they know. All right, it's playoff time. It's time to go. Like let's not mess around because mm-hmm. they showed that they can do it last year. Yeah, I mean, I have to give a shout out to Colin Lockerin right there in the studio because we actually have had this talk prior about these Celtics, and he said this was inevitable. I was very adamant they were just gonna have this incredible Cinderella story season. I mean, they arguably had the best offense of all time in NBA history. Not to say that they're still not on fire, but it came as a shock to me that they kind of hit this little bump in the road. I just thought it was going to be another Warriors story. But, I mean, at the end of the day, in an 82-game season, losses are inevitable. Yeah, you also didn't have Malcolm Brogdon, who kind of is a calming presence for that Mm -hmm. Celtics team. He's a scorer uh, who can alleviate that pressure off of Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, and he's a playmaker. And he's a he does everything. He's a defender too. So not having him killed them. I mean, but in the same breath, like no Jalen Brunson, that's pretty big too. And then just the Nets have been a little not so good. So (laughs) I mean, it's still, you know, you got to just keep it in mind. But like I said, at the end of the day, a lot of losses, or not a lot, but losses are expected in this large season in the NBA. But you can also notice a trend happening that it seems these teams are starting to kind of figure out the Celtics offense. It's kind of, you know, I love the Celtics. I think they run a good offense, but I think they're a little predictable. And I think a lot of teams are picking up on that. So what do you guys think about that? I mean, I think, as you mentioned, the Celtics ran arguably one of the best offenses in NBA history. And maybe that there's some adjustment from the defense from defenses around the league to that offense, but I still think it's a well-oiled machine, mm-hmm. uh, to say the least. And what do they do really well? They they play defense and they shoot the three well. And in the playoffs, you're going to need that. So I'm not too worried. I mean, regular season, they might be in a little bit of a rough patch, but they can turn it around. It's, it's just all about who is feeling themselves come playoffs. And if they're feeling good, then I will be feeling good about them. I mean, let's just pretend right now playoffs are about to happen. Who do you think... Is going all the way. Just looking at the situation in the we have East here. or in both? Both. Okay. Let's hear it. Oh man, this is tough. <laughs> no pressure. Yeah, I know. Uh, well, in the West, we'll get. I know we'll get into them a little bit. Mm-hmm. I have the Suns. I, I, they're just. I, yeah. I don't. I don't like Devin Booker, and I'm a little iffy on Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. But that is a insane duo they have. Not even to mention Chris Paul and DeAndre, and they kept that big four there. Yeah. So I have the Suns. And then in the East, it's tough because the East is really tough. I don't have the Knicks. I'm not gonna go that far. Yeah, I like them. I think they can make some noise, but I think I mean it's just it comes down to who can guard Giannis, and we don't talk about the Bucks that much. They're 17 and one in their last yeah. 18. We're all about the Knicks, the Knicks, the Knicks. The Bucks yeah. are arguably the hottest team in the league. I would say they're hotter than the Knicks right they, now. Yeah, oh, I mean, a thousand percent. Statistically, they are. So I, I have to go with the Bucks because I mean Giannis knows how to win in the playoffs and. Find me one person who can really stop Giannis and Dacumbo. See, I just think too, we never really talk about the Bucks because they're just so good, but they kind of are good under the radar. Yeah. Like they don't make a lot of noise, if that makes sense, yet they're still the top team. 
So we kind of forget about, I wouldn't say forget about them, but we're kind of boring. Yeah, we're too busy yeah. harping on the ones that have all this drama or a lot of shifts, like the Nets, the Knicks, and even the Celtics. I mean, a lot goes on over there. And then we'll look at the standings and be like, oh, wait, <laughs> we forgot about the Bucks. Like, where, what the heck? How did we miss them? So I feel like it's mostly because Giannis is, I, I don't want to say it's a one-man wrecking crew, but I, you, you kind of understand what I mean, I feel like, because, yeah, Chris Middleton's there. Yeah, they have, you know, other, so, like, solid pieces around Giannis. But at the end of the day, when you think Milwaukee Bucks, you think Giannis. And mm-hmm. I truthfully don't see anyone stopping the Bucks. And I, I hate that I have to give the same, you know, prediction as you, Joe, but <laughs> it's inevitable. I, I, I think we're gonna get that, that NBA finals rematch between the Bucks and the Suns. Now, who wins that? I'm not sure yet, but it's a little I, bit of a different rematch, yeah, I guess you could say. A yeah, lot has changed. Yeah, a, a lot has bit. changed, but um, you know, especially with the addition of Kevin Durant. But um yeah, I, it's just the Bucks. It's going to be the Bucks. I mean, since we're on the topic of Giannis, I want to ask you guys, what did you think about that triple-double call? I mean, I think it's more of a <laughs> joke than an actual, like... Yeah. I think he he's not, like, an actual stat patter. I think he was just <laughs> saw an opportunity to be funny, which he is a very funny guy. If you ever follow Giannis on Dacumbo on Instagram, you know that. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I don't think he was serious, but it would have been pretty hilarious if they actually had counted that a rebound. And it was against my Wizards. The game was already <laughs> over, so I didn't really care. But yeah. no, nah, Giannis is hilarious. I so. mean, when they counted it at first, it was kind of hysterical from the jump. It was, it and was. And then they took it back, obviously. But if, I mean, Will, you haven't answered yet, so I hope I'm not making fun of you right now. But if you're an NBA fan and you thought that was a triple-double, I mean, come on. Come on. Come on. It's not too bad. No, it's, it, th- that, that shouldn't have All right, close counted. call. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, that should not have counted because... I mean, at the end of the, because then anyone could just do that, right? Like, it, mm-hmm. it's just a, a cheap way to get it, and I, I don't, I don't think that, I'm. It's not even like a legitimate shot at him. He just tossed it off the backboard. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty easy answer for me. That's absolutely not doesn't count as a triple double. I mean, props to Giannis for having his little moment over there. It was funny, but um, no, that should not have counted. Yeah, and I mean, going back to what we said about the Bucks, I think I kind of agree with you guys. Um, statistically speaking, they're obviously the top spot for the finals right now I have to agree with you there I wouldn't count out the Celtics quite yet I do think maybe this is just a bump who knows but speaking of teams who are on the list of people who beat the Celtics we're going to talk about my Nets I don't know why I'm saying that in a happy voice because <laughs> it hasn't been too happy over in Brooklyn Sunday was a pretty happy night it was I mean it was but at the same time is that a game worth celebrating like truly, no, it's like, not worth celebrating. You know what I mean. But you go have to take what you could get now. That's what I mean. Like it's I, I want to be like, yeah, I'm happy, but I don't want to celebrate that win. That's an inevitable win. And even, even the Celtics win, does that speak more on the Nets doing well or the Celtics just having a rough game? Like I just think that's not to say that the the Nets are doing fabulous this season. I think they got a little lucky in terms of that game. Celtics didn't play their best. Yada yada yada. I mean, overall, this new look Nets post trade is not where we thought we were going to be. Yeah, it's I mean, not. I feel like whenever a team wins, you have to give the winning team credit. So I give the mm-hmm. Nets credit, and not too much though. Not too much. <laughs> I don't. I don't have them winning the finals, but no. I I actually do like the moves they made, and when you look at Mikel Bridges coming over from Phoenix, yeah, Mikel. Mikel. We, 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 we got. We, we debated this pre-show <laughs> about how to pronounce his name. I think I got it right. Um. Mm-hmm. In the nine games since he joined the Nets, he's averaging 26 points per game and six rebounds and three assists. So he he didn't really have the opportunity in Phoenix to showcase that scoring ability. 
So people before this trade thought of Mikel Bridges as a solid, you know, third co-star, I guess you want to call it, or fourth player that can on a championship team that can play some solid defense and, you know, fill up stat sheets sometimes. But mm-hmm. now when he's in this main scoring role, he's shown, I mean, I don't I don't know if it'll last the whole rest of the season, but 26 points, I mean, did they trade KD for KD? I mean, I don't know. But No, 100%. I mean, there's so many comparisons that can be made in the way they both play. I love watching Mikael Bridges. I always have to say it now, Mikael, Mikael, since we just had yeah, that debate. I know. But, I mean, just his mid-range jumper alone, I'm like, holy crap, he's incredible. But at the same time, to go from a team that was third overall in championship odds to a team that's, you know, most likely not going to make the playoffs, it hurts. It does. But at the end of the day, I'm not totally hating on the look of this team because the rebuild – you know, if they stay on this path, it's going to be crazy. They picked up so many good future picks. It may take five years till the Nets are incredible again, but I really think the rebuild they're going to have is going to be worth it in the long run. I think it depends on how you look at where the Nets want to go. If they're if they're a team that just wants to 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 hover, or, you know, and and be a solid playoff team, I think you hate this move because you. I think you get that with. The original Kevin Durant and Kyrie duo. I don't. Th- I still don't think that team would have won a championship just because of all. I mean, there was a point where I was saying if they if they got it together, they can. But it just it didn't look like they would. So I think that you know if you if you just want to make the playoffs and mm-hmm. and if you're the owner and you just want to make some money, I mean that, that I mean I think that's the that's the right way to go about that. But I I think if you if you look at it as a championship or bust kind of thing, then I think that. No matter how much you hate that you lose KD and Kyrie, um, I think just trading for um, you know picks and Mikael Bridges, I think that that that's the right move because that'll mm-hmm. that'll move you closer and get you you know uh, give you a better chance at getting back to being a championship favorite than sticking with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't even call it a rebuild because the Nets don't even own like their picks; they're all pick swaps with Houston so Mm -hmm. they don't really have an incentive to lose like with a rebuild or a tank if you want to call it teams are trying to lose they want to lose Mm -hmm. the Nets they have other teams picks so they are kind of playing with house money here and they have a good enough roster to make some noise I don't know about the noise in the playoffs but maybe shake up some of these standings so I don't really see them going on a full tear down rebuild I mean they did kind of tear down trading Mm -hmm. away Katie and Kyrie but I like this kind of core they're building here with yeah. with Mikel, uh and Cam Johnson. We don't even talk about him. He's a really good three-point shooter. Uh, and then Cam Thomas is inconsistent, to say the least, but he yes. can be a volume scorer. Uh, but, no, I, I don't think we're seeing a rebuild here. Maybe a retool is a better wor- uh, word going forward. I think the frustration just lies with people are just hanging on to what the team used to be. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, the Nets attempted to take over the New York market, I mean, now we have the Knicks on fire, but what the Knicks are right now, the Knicks, the Nets were trying, Knicks Nets, the Nets were trying to be, and you know, it sadly failed. It it was really hard to watch to lose that many superstars and just watch it crumble away. It's almost like they need a docu series to talk about this. Yeah, a little Netflix documentary. Yeah, yeah seriously, I would watch it. But I obviously, watch it too. no, obviously, um, there was some outside stuff that happened. It wasn't just about what took place on the court, but like I mentioned, to have, like. Two of the top ten players in the league, arguably three at one time, and to just you know watch that crumble—that's painful. But as a Nets fan, does it feel? Do you feel better not 
like having to maybe wake up every morning to a new storyline about, oh, yes. Kyrie doesn't want to play for us because he has to wear a mask or yes. Kevin Durant doesn't want to do this or whatever. Like you kind of have some a thousand percent. calm. I mean, the Kyrie trade for me was inevitable. I wasn't surprised by that. Yeah. But to wake up at 2 a.m. to a call saying Kevin Durant is with the Suns, that kind of shocked me. Did you really think he was going to stay? I did. I really did. I mean, I could see the frustration of like, I mean, personally, if I was him, I'd probably want to leave too, yeah. thinking about the whole situation. But I just didn't want to process it. <laughs> I wasn't ready to think about it. I still had hopes even after the Kyrie trade. Because, I mean, if you look at how the Nets played while Kyrie was out, because let's be real, Kevin Durant and Kyrie, there was a lot of games where they weren't even on the court together. I mean, yeah. Kyrie missed a lot of games as a Net. So with the loss of Kyrie getting traded to the Mavericks, I still thought the Nets could potentially take this all the way. I thought they were going to trade, if anything, just for another, like a big center. I think that's what the team really needed. Um, that's where my personal frustration lies because that's what I wanted to see come out of that trade. I think that was the biggest thing this team was missing. And for them now to have done that <laughs> with Nerlens Noel, he was signed <laughs> to a 10-day contract. I'm happy because obviously, like I said, it's something this team needs desperately. But the fact they waited now to do so and they didn't make this move when Kyrie and Katie were on the team, it does hurt me a little bit. It does. Well, I mean, New Orleans Noel averages are averaged an outstanding two points and two rebounds last season. <laughs> Listen, so, it is better season. than what they have. There is That's no true. good big man on the Nets. There's not. Well, I mean, would you call Claxton a center? I mean, and still, Claxton's a little inconsistent. You know, Claxton, what it is for me with Nick Claxton is I think he's very good, but. Now with the absence of Kyrie and KD, where he kind of has the floor to himself, sure. and it's like more of the Nick Claxton show as opposed to him depending on them, I think it really goes to show that everyone, even the players, kind of took having these two superstars for granted. Well, there is a debate now about who's the best center in New York. I know Mitchell Robinson started that debate. I think he might edge out Nerlens Noel, and I think <laughs> he's probably a little bit better than Nick Claxton. Uh, I mean, it's a solid signing it's a 10 day so it's not really gonna make a huge yeah. huge we'll see impact what happens. we'll see if it gets a second 10 day but uh if you're a Nets fan Riley I'm sure you're hoping that you can get a 2020 Nerlens Noel on the Knicks maybe get some of that revenge on Knicks fans I'm hoping and I'm praying I mean the Nets are constantly out rebounded to a shocking degree so <laughs> please Nerlens Noel I'm begging you like please just do your thing I mean, I think short term it it's a good move it, it doesn't hurt you to sign someone in a 10 day contract mm-hmm. and give them a shot but at this point with the Nets, I I can't, especially just how the season has gone since the start with Steve Nash's firing all the way through just everything now. Suddenly, they're, you know, Mikael Bridges is scoring 19 points, 9 for 9 in the first quarter. I don't know what to make of this team anymore, ever. It's very wishy-washy. I don't, I don't <laughs> say they're fun. Yeah. That's I don't even want to try to make yeah. sen- sense of it anymore. I, I, I think it's just let, let the Nets be the Nets. I don't think... I don't know if any any journalist, any you know, NBA coach, player. I don't know if anyone can quite really start to understand this team at at, at this point. I don't think Stephen A. Smith can do it. I don't think I don't think Nobody. if Kobe was alive, he would be able to break this <laughs> team down. This team is just I, I don't know, but but good on them for getting Nerlens Noel. They're trying something, just thro- yeah. throwing stuff at the <laughs> wall and hoping it sticks. It could push the needle. To no, the Champions I mean they're in like dire need for some rim protection um shot blocking um just a lot of things are in dire need for but i'm hoping that he could fill the void in those categories i mean it's been a tough year it's been a tough year looking back at the last couple games the bucks game 
looked good at first. They couldn't close it out. Then you have the Bulls game. I don't even want to talk about that. That was just like an absolute joke blowout. Offensively, defensively, the whole thing just crushed my soul. And then the Knicks game, I mean, obviously, like, we try to, at least I try to find the positives and everything for my team. But when you surrender 142 points in a game, (laughs) there is nothing positive that can come from that. I mean, literally zip. I mean, you know, the Nets could really use a playmaking point guard and a seven-foot-tall <laughs> basically wing player, so that's that's tough for them. But uh, no, but in all seriousness, I think they'll be fine. I mean, it's just Nets fans probably need to lower their expectations slightly from what it was even a month ago. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy how quickly things change in the NBA. Yeah. But I, I think this team is definitely, if you can say one thing, they're entertaining and they're fun. So Now, I mean, what do we think this says about Ben Simmons? Like uh, I completely forgot he exists. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I forgot he exists too. I saw him on the exactly. injury report for Sundays because I actually went to Sunday's game. I I saw him on the injury report, and literally I I mentioned it uh, to everyone I was going to the game with, and then three seconds later it was like Ben Simmons was not on the team anymore. <laughs> yeah. I no, know. I even forget about him. I'm like, what? Like he's still a part of the team. Yeah. I mean, even aside from the injuries. He's been so disappointing. He really has. I think everyone expected Ben Simmons to come in and kind of be the glue that pieces his team yeah. together, and he wasn't. He never was when he was healthy. I mean, he's rarely healthy, so it's kind of hard to speak on that. But I really don't feel that there is a need to push for him to get healthy this season and come back. I just think that's not going to help anything. I mean, in all seriousness, I think for the role that he has, he may be the worst player in the NBA. Like, he, like he, I don't know what he does well. I agree. I agree. I cannot stand what? Ben Simmons. I, I really mean, can't. I think that I'm almost feeling like he is a – how do I put this? It's – it's what Dwight Howard had, but every step was worse. <laughs> no, but it's just like he's such a big name, I feel like. You know what I mean? A lot yeah. of people people who don't even watch the NBA, a lot of people know Ben Simmons. I don't know if it's because of his social life. You know, he's hanging out with the Kardashians sometimes and yada, yeah. yada, yada. But for how much he's talked about and how much he's known outside of NBA fans, you would think he's some incredible player or that he's yeah. brought well, he so was. much to his Nets team. Yeah, he, he, he was. Well, he, really, he wasn't incredible. Was. He was okay. Well, when he, he was solid, yeah. when he was very solid. His he first... was predicted to be like incredible. Oh yeah, they were comparing him to LeBron. I mean, I think didn't he happen. was. I mean, the reason why the the Nets traded for him is they were hoping for his second, third year. I mean, I don't, even, I don't even want to say first year because his whole rookie fiasco was confusing. But his earlier years of his career, he was a dynamic playmaker, and he had some confidence in his mid range. He could shoot mid range, and he was an elite defender. And then. A lot happened, and now he can't do anything because he's not confident in anything he's doing. I mean, teams are just guarding him when he's, whenever he's on the floor. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Waste of space. Yeah, he is kind of at the free throw line, and the defender is standing under the basket, and he's afraid to shoot. <laughs> so it's kind of sad. And, like, I feel bad to harp on him because he is injured, and, you know, he's, you know, injury-prone. But at the same time, like, you get, get it together. Money, yeah. yeah, Get it together. You're supposed to be this guy that saved the Nets, and I think he's the biggest letdown these Nets have seen. Truthfully, I can 100% say that with my full chest that I think Ben Simmons is a letdown and I don't even care if he comes back. I don't care if he, when he's healed, if he starts playing again, I, I really don't think he's needed. I don't know. James Harden might have something to say about that. <laughs> uh, at, least, at least James Harden played for the Nets and, and scored more than six points a game. So, I mean, another net I do want to talk about, though, who is sometimes forgotten by most people, because even I think, wait, where did he go, is De'Ron Sharp. What do we think he brings to the table for these Nets? I mean, he clearly doesn't have a solid role. He is a total foul box. I mean, a total foul box. But, you know, how do we feel about him? 
I believe he, coming out of high school, he was like a very high recruit. Mm-hmm. And, and then Tar Heels, too. He was balling out over there. Yeah, he's a, essentially a seven-footer. He's young. Mm-hmm. Maybe he can, I was going to say, maybe he can fill that Nerlens Noel role, but he just signed Nerlens Noel. So I don't know if he's going to take up any of his minutes, but I don't know. I mean, it's just a young player, 21. For he's just the, so foul-happy, though, and it, it kind of— Well, that's what a, a lot of young players deal with yeah. coming into the league. Yeah, so. That's how I do feel, though, because a lot of people are saying, get rid of De'Ron Sharp. He's not needed on this team. He brings nothing. Um, the Nets, I mean— they personally, it's what I see, clearly feel that they can't run with him. They're not running him in plays as much. But at the end of the day, I think, I mean, this is how I see it. We're losing games anyways. Why don't we test things out? Let's. We're going to lose anyways. Let's try some new things. Let's switch the rotation. Let's, you know, give these young players more of a chance to get comfortable on the court, see their game, see their growth. I mean, there was a lot of talk about Cam Thomas, too. I mean, now we could say he's a little inconsistent, but... At first, we weren't playing him at all. There was all the tweets, hashtag free Cam Thomas, free CT. <laughs> then we finally did give Cam Thomas a chance. He didn't do so well at first. And then he just starts balling out out of nowhere. It yeah. was incredible, the game he played. And like you said earlier, he's a little inconsistent. Now it's up and down. He either plays amazing or he's just like, eh. But still, the fact that we kind of gave him a chance and we're still continuing to give him a chance to show himself out there, I think we should be doing the same with Dayron Sharp. Maybe controversial to say that. What about you, Will? I think that right now, in the position that the Nets are in, you're not in a position to to probably get a number one pick. You're not in a position to to make a deep playoff run. You're probably going to be some a, a team that is on the edge of making it in or out of the play-in, basically. So right now, I think it's their time to just experiment with what they have. I think they're, you know, just looking at this team, it's it's kind of volatile to, uh, in terms of where they could go because on a day where, you know, Cam Thomas, Spencer Dinwiddie, Mikhail Bridges, on a day where they all play well, on a day where Ben Simmons is is playing and decides to, to be his, you know, his, his self from, you know, a few years ago, mm-hmm. that team could be really good. That team could knock off, you know, a top team. That team could knock off, you know, the Boston Celtics, for example. But on a day where... You know, they're just their average selves. This team is, I don't know if they're going to make the play. And so, yeah, it's but but either way, I think, you know, especially as, you know, they have a lot of other teams picks. If there's a time to just be like, here, you go and play. Let's see how you do. Just experiment with different lineups. Now is the time. And I think with Daron Sharp, it's it's no different. I mean, what we can say is there is a lot of people on this team who are talented pieces. I mean, I've seen some great playing from all the players on this team. It's a matter of do they work together? Do they fit together? I mean, now we have a center or we're attempting to have a center, but we still don't have ball handlers. We don't have many guys that initiate offense. That's a problem. I feel like the worst part about this team for me is that the version of Ben Simmons that we all thought we were going to get, like this version of Ben Simmons we all dreamt of and imagined, he could have solved 90% of these issues on this Nets team, but he just he's just not that guy anymore. He's not. Yeah, I don't know. It's well, you got, yeah, you traded him for James Harden, and you were kind of expecting a fair return mm-hmm. in player to player, and yep. it just has not worked out. But a lot of things have not worked out for the Nets recently. But they have. I liked it, like I said before. I liked the, the move they made. I think it was just a foregone conclusion that that's how it was going to end up once Kyrie demanded that trade, and I think they got the the, be- the most out of what they could have gotten. Two things about Ben Simmons and you saying that him, <laughs> he may have been able to solve all the Nets issues. First of all, In I don't. My dreams. Yeah, I don't. I, first of all, I don't think that he's going to be able to put 
you know, to get re put together this KD Kyrie thing. I don't think no. he ever was the guy to put that back together. I think that was just they better get it together on their own or this thing is going to fall apart. And number two, as Charles Barkley would say, he's just not a bus driver. <laughs> See, <laughs> I just feel like, like you mentioned, prime Ben Simmons. Like, if we had prime Ben Simmons, we had the Ben Simmons we wanted, the Ben Simmons we thought was still there, I don't think we would be in this position. That's just how I feel. Again, maybe controversial to say that, but I say even when he's healed, we don't need Ben Simmons. He doesn't contribute anything to this team. And uh, there's a lot of people on this team I don't really think we need, and we could benefit off trading. I mean, you have Joe Harris. I'm a huge Joe Harris hater. Um, I'm sorry, I am. You have Joe Harris and you have Seth Curry. They're just specialists for this team, and they're not in a position to be, you know, in this team without the superstars. Those superstars were what led them. I call it like the Batman-Robin theory we see a lot of times in the league. I think they played decent because they had a Batman. Robin can't be great without Batman. Batman can't be great without Robin. But without those big names leading this team – I just think Curry and Harris, they just can't get it together. They do nothing. I mean, yeah, it's its tough, I guess, in the same season when you start out with two of the top ten, arguably, players in the league, and then in an instant they're gone. It's kind of hard to say, all right, it's our team now, let's go. Uh, so I, I guess I cut them a little slack there. But mm -hmm. I think they're solid. They've always been and they always will be. They're solid role players no. to a championship-contending team, and they're not a championship-contending team. So maybe that's... Those are some guys that would be better on a team that can actually win a ring. Yeah, and I, I do agree with the point. You know, let's cut them a little slack. I am cutting them a little slack because I cannot imagine just being on this superstar team. You got Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. And then within a matter of like, what, like three days max? Yeah. That I think that's how long it took for both of them to be gone. You just wake up and it's like, oh, shoot, this whole team, like the weight is on my shoulders now. Like you're so used to just being comfortable and having them lead the game. You're there to play your role. And now it's your show. That's tough. I think um, they still have a, a spot on this team. Uh, I don't know if you're going to agree with that. I think they have a spot on this team, but there's still things that they can do. They still, um, especially because this Nets team is not filled with, you know, depth and good players. I think there's they could definitely still um, put on a show here and there. Um, but as you said, they, they might be better off fitted on a, on a championship team. That's probably where their utility would be maximized, mm -hmm. I guess you could say that. But... I don't know if the Nets would really benefit from trading them unless it's to a team that is contending and is willing to give up some really solid picks because I really just don't know what you're going to get in exchange for Seth Curry and Joe Harris. You might just get Seth Curry and Joe Harris from the 2027 draft class. I think that would be a little better, though. You know, at least we develop them. We have a lot to learn about them. I think with Joe Harris and Seth Curry, we don't have anything more to learn about these guys. We see how they play. We know what we, they can do. And I just think that to at least, obviously, you know, just drafting a newer version of Seth Curry and Joe Harris is not still my ideal, but at least to have them grow with the team, you know, and build them on that court, I think would be more beneficial. Well, Joe Harris, or sorry, Seth Curry is a pending uh, unrestricted free agent. So get him out of here. <laughs> it might not be, you might not have the chance to trade him. So <laughs> he's a guy I actually like for the Lakers. But yeah, I do, I do see him leaving in free agency because I don't really think the direction of the Nets right now with how the roster is constructed is to win a ring. So mm -hmm. he's probably better off on a more Yeah, and I mean, he's team. in his 30s. He's he's How much longer is he going to be in the league? You know, I, again, I'm not to sound like that, but I'm sure he would rather be on a team that's closer to getting a ring 
as opposed to a team that's trying to start rebuilding for the future. It just doesn't make sense for him. I mean, there's so much I could talk about this Nets team, whether it's Jacques Vaughn's coaching, Patty Mills. I mean, I'm not a hater of Jacques Vaughn's coaching whatsoever. I saw what he did to this team. I do have a couple issues with what he's doing now. I don't think running seven-man rotations is the best move. But overall, I think he's really helped this Nets team. I think he's very deserving of the contract um, extension he got. Um, I still cannot stand Patty Mills, but that's just a whole nother chapter I could open. I say we move on to talking about some two past Nets that we have previously mentioned multiple times, Kyrie and KD, because they had a huge matchup. They now both are in the West. KD, as we know, plays for the Suns, and Kyrie is on the Mavericks. And that was a game. I mean, did you guys watch that game? Yeah, yeah. I did. I it was what I believe it was Sunday, correct? Yeah, it was a tremendous game. I mean, the storylines and just even the teams as a whole. They're two great teams. Double uh, text, man. Yeah, a rematch uh, of that iconic game seven, uh, if you want to call it that. But no, I like I said before, I'm a big fan of the Suns, and when you look at I mean, the numbers, it's worked so far, and they're three games together. I'm talking about Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. Durant's averaging basically 27-7-4, and and Devin Booker is averaging 36-5-8. That's MVP numbers. And together, they're averaging 52% from three which is uh, an astronomical rate. And you could tell how many they're attempting. They're attempting 11 a game. So that's crazy to me. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they can't keep it up like this. But going into the playoffs, when you have that duo, I think the NBA is a duo league now. You're kind of Every star needs their – every Batman, Batman needs their Robin, going mm-hmm. to your point. That's a very good Batman-Robin duo you got there in Phoenix. So it's looking it's looking scary in the West. I do not think Ja Morant is fine in the West. <laughs> I'll say it there. I don't yeah. either. And, I mean, to continue on with that, God, it's more so not even that they just have the two of them. I mean, they're obviously leading that team. But to have Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton help as well, oh, yeah. my gosh. I Back to what we said earlier, I fully believe that the Phoenix Suns are going to get the title. I really do. I mean, obviously, I think it's going to be Suns Bucks. You, kn- I don't want to say too much because something could change tomorrow. You never know with injuries or whatever in this league. But the way things are looking right now, in my eyes, there is no way that they don't. This is a, basically a big four team, and I think the way Kevin Durant is already playing with this team is incredible. The this trade was just fabulous. I mean, we'll get into that uh, later on, but wow. I mean, it's crazy. And then. In comparison with Kyrie going to the Mavericks as well, I think I don't think that's such a good fit. I don't know. How do you guys feel about that? To me, Kyrie getting traded and Katie getting traded, I mean, to these two different teams, it's a little bit different. You guys want to, like you guys have been making the Batman Robin analogy. You don't usually see Katie who is Batman, mm-hmm. you know, hopping around to different teams. It's usually the Robin that gets traded around to different teams. It's usually the Anthony Davis is getting traded to the Lakers. It's like this, Kyrie getting traded uh, to the Mavericks. I think um, KD fits better on the Suns, though, because, you know, they got rid of Mikel Bridges, so they're obviously upgrading at the small forward position. They have, as we mentioned, a lot of other different pieces. Whereas this Mavericks team is, they're just not deep at all. I mean, just mm-hmm. plain and simple. If you look at their roster, it's you have Luka, you have Kyrie, you got Tim Hardaway Jr., um, and then, I mean, yeah, you got a, like a few other solid players. Christian Wood has his nights, but the the rest of this team is just kind of like you're not gonna rely on them. And if 
if if Luca and Kyrie are starting and they're not on the floor, who are you going to rely on to initiate offense? You're gonna rely on Tim Hardaway Jr. I don't I don't know if that's yeah. that's that's the greatest thing in the world. And if you only really have Kyrie and Luca as your two main, I guess, initiators and playmakers, then if you have them play play at the both at the same time, you're either going to suffer with your bench or you're just going to have them play at the beginning for a little bit together, and then they're not going to play together again until maybe the end of the game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, too, with Kyrie, he works very well with ball-dominant players, and that's clearly not the case here. I think he needs someone who attacks the basket a little bit more. Ideally, I would have loved to see him play with someone like Giannis. I think that would be a great matchup, the two of them. But I don't know if I'm so confident in the matchup he has with Luka. I mean, I'd argue... Luca is probably the most ball dominant. I mean, his usage rates. Oh yeah. See, are I just insane. don't think with the way Kyrie is though. Like, I think they both. I think if, I if, if Kyrie played with 2016, 2017 LeBron, arguably the most dominant player we've ever seen. I mean, you can, this is a whole Jordan is only a loophole to hold Jordan LeBron debate. But if he was able to play a complementary role with that LeBron, I I don't see how it won't work with Luca and. I'm all basing this off. I love the duo, but I'm basing this off of if they can keep Kyrie long-term because I do agree with you, Will. Their team is not deep whatsoever, and that will bite them in the playoffs. I don't. That's why I don't see them going to the finals or anything close to that. Maybe the Western Conference Finals. But yeah. I, if they can re-sign Kyrie and then get some extra pieces to that bench, then I think you're talking about a possible... Some defense. Yes, yeah, so a serious uh, title contender because I actually love that duo. I think... Luca has really? been, yeah, I think Luca has been needing someone who can alleviate pressure uh, when he's dribbling and when he has the ball, and someone to pass to him, and he can actually trust will do something with the ball, not just shoot up a brick. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I think. I mean, I'm I'm excited to see how they develop, but I just don't. I think they're both efficient per, for perimeter players, but I just don't think they're going to complement each other well in the long run. I don't see it working. Here's the thing, they. They did make it to the Western Conference Finals last year, so we have to take that into account. Mm -hmm. It really just depends on do Kyrie and Luka fit together. That's it. And sometimes, like especially just watching the Mavericks over the past couple seasons, I don't know if because obviously in in most of the games where they do well, they're kind of just riding Luka's coattails. He's sinking all the shots. He's Mm -hmm. you know he's making all these insane shots, playing you know forty minutes a game or whatever, but. To me, it's so. What if you take that away, and that goes to Kyrie, and now you don't have that kind of. It's kind of like the Harden thing with the Houston Rockets. You have that. You have that player in James Harden who you can play all game. He's he's gonna do his thing, but at a certain point, that that tank is gonna run out of fuel. And if him and Kyrie don't mesh well together, and if Kyrie can't take the load off of Luca when he needs to, and then let Luca also take over when he needs to, then this is going to flop just see, like those Houston Rockets. I, I see what you're saying. I think Kyrie will be able to help take the load off of Luka, but I don't know if he'll also let him be great when he needs to. I yeah. think that's kind of an issue I've seen personally with Kyrie. I'm sure everyone else has. Again, back to the Batman-Robin thing. Kyrie, in my eyes, in, in a lot of people's eyes, he works best as a Robin-type role on a team. Mm-hmm. But I think he has these moments where he thinks he's going to be the Batman, or he thinks he can. I mean, when he played with LeBron... Great pairing, like you said. But then we saw him go over to the Celtics, and it just didn't really work as him leading that team. And then with the Nets, I felt like he was very much so... Obviously, I think KD and Kyrie meshed well, but I think there was times where he still just wanted to be 
the leader of that team. He wanted to be that guy. And I think that role was more so Kevin Durant's. And he kind of needs to just sit back and let them do their thing. And I'm worried that he's not going to really let, you know, Luca do that on this team. Well, from what I've seen so far in, I mean, the few games that he've played, he has done that. I mean, Luca had a chance to tie, take the lead at the end, and he just missed that layup. Uh, and you saw Kyrie giving him the ball and getting out of the way, which I think is the right decision for him and the team. So I think he's shown the ability to defer uh, from being that Batman. And if he did it with LeBron, I think he can do it with Luca. I mean, obviously, I'm not trying to compare Luca to LeBron, mm-hmm. but in, ter- I mean, in hey, terms of usage, in terms of usage, it's pretty close. The I way mean, Luca, Luca's headed too, you know, in his career. Oh yeah. I mean, he probably he probably maybe he could get that point record just of how the NBA is. Oh yeah. Trending. He's mm-hmm. already on pace, and when LeBron was coming up, it was not even that much of a scoring league to now where everyone's putting up 40 a night. But no, I think. I think it'll work out if they can re-sign him and then fix that team around them because I don't think they're deep enough to, to win a title this year. I, I mean, think, oh no, but I mean, averaging 120.4 points per 100 possessions, that's an incredible offensive rating. I mean, I think that makes them in the lead by like a mile. <laughs> like, that's crazy. Obviously, the defense is just the issue. Their defense is ranked 28th in the league right now. Yikes. Uh, hopefully, they could fix that as well. But what were you going to say, Will? I think LeBron is also a better facilitator than Luka, though. I mean, as much as LeBron is also a very ball-dominant player, you saw that with the Cavs, him just being like, all right, this is my team, I'm taking over. Um, he also knows how to how to pass the ball really well. He's one of the best pa- passers we've ever seen. And I think Luka, he's, I'm not saying he's a bad passer, but mm-hmm. his his efficiency compared to LeBron's when, there's, when they're being ball-dominant, when they're you know scoring the basketball – I think that has less of a disparity than their comparison when they're facilitating. I don't think Luka has the same ability to to be aggressive and then dump off the ball like LeBron. That's also partially what concerns me. It's I'm going to draw this comparison again. It's like James Harden. Obviously, the two are a little bit different, but in a lot of ways, I feel like this is just bringing back all my memories of the 20, you know, 17 and the 2018 Houston Rockets. Well, yeah, no way was I trying to. I compare Luca and LeBron. I think they're. But I, I got your reference. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think like when you look at Luca, it's gonna be in the huddle, big shot. We need to get this point, these points here. Kyrie has the experience of saying, "All right, it's not my shot here. It's Luka. like give the ball to Luca." Mm-hmm. And, and I that's think he really, really needs important. To. I don't think he knew that. That's why he went to the Celtics. He said, "I can be that guy." And mm-hmm. then obviously he, found out he couldn't. He found out the hard way. Uh, but yeah, I, I just I don't see it happening this year like for all the reasons you guys said just not yeah. having enough of a deep roster he also has his moments where he can you know yeah, you I mean, saw him hit the, hit the shot against the, the, shot. the warriors yeah so he has his moments but there's also just moments where it's like he's not the guy yeah he could become that guy but you I mean, never at know with his career at this stage <laughs> in his career sometimes it's just like is he gonna really just make that push and develop into that guy that you use in the final minutes, uh, yeah. that the old, always go-to guy, or is that you know now it's just like Luca's the younger one, he's the bigger star. Let me hand it off. Well, to if Luka. if Luca goes down, then you, I I feel pretty confident in Kyrie. If, oh yeah, and and him handling some things maybe for a game or a quarter if Luca yeah. does happen to go down. Oh yeah, for a game or a quarter, but I don't think like, for a season it's a whole different. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And I mean Kyrie, you just never know what's gonna what you're gonna get from him. Incredible player, but and I mean that in every way, shape, or form. I mean that on the court, outside of the league, um, you just never know. Obviously, I think Kyrie is in a position where he wants to redeem himself as well. Because of everything that happened in Brooklyn, I think he kind of wants to prove that 
it was a Brooklyn thing. It's not him, blah, blah, blah. It was the way Brooklyn had this drama with him. He didn't mesh well with the team. So I think maybe he will kind of step back a little bit, let Luca run the show, still take a load off of him every now and again. But I just don't see it lasting long term. I don't think I don't think they mesh well. I don't. I would like to see it work well. I really like Luca. I don't mind Kyrie. Um, I would also like to see a shakeup in the West. I would like to see the Mavericks come out on top, you know, switch up who's rising in the league, but I just don't see it happening. It's just all about who. It's just all about how they can surround them with enough help to mm-hmm. sustain a whole season and then a playoff run, which oftentimes for contending teams is more uh, gruesome for than a whole season because so much can happen in such a short time. Yeah. So. But it's, I mean, it, yeah, it'll just be interesting to see if they can get some more defense and then bench scoring. Yeah. I think though, if they can get it together and if they really do have good chemistry and if they can get a little bit of extra defense, I think honestly this team can take down the Suns in the playoffs. But they have to get there. There's a lot of ifs. Mm-hmm. I, I think don't... neither team is really that deep because the Suns really traded all of their like Cam Johnson and Mikael Bridges. Are, yeah, but they were... still got Chris Paul. They have DeAndre. Ayton, oh, I mean like, like a bench sense. Like how a... that turned out last season. That's true. Yeah, I think both teams kind of have issues. It'd be really funny to see them match up in the Western Conference Finals because yeah. both teams mm-hmm. have issues once their stars are out of the game and they can't play. Especially today's NBA, where the load management. It's like players just want to miss games whenever they can. Yeah. So it's gonna be really interesting to see who what team is better when their stars are not on the floor. Mm-hmm. As of now, I think we could say it's the Suns, but. We're just getting started. I mean, there's a lot of time left. And as we've noticed, things change very quickly. You never know what's going to happen in this league. Well, every game, though, is starting to feel a little bit more like the playoffs, I've yes, noticed. we're inching closer and closer. But one thing I think that we can all agree on is that John Morant is no longer fine in the West. There is a lot of competition. I think he really jinxed himself with that one. He was a little cocky there. Um, aside from what's going on with him personally, I mean, the West has just grown completely it has impressed me i don't think he's fine in the west i don't, I don't. think i don't think john morant's fine in memphis so yeah, yeah he's barely fine on his own team i don't know about he's really fun in the nba yeah he's not doing too well we right have now. yet to see where that goes that's a whole nother story i mean that that's you know the thing about the nba is these social stories keep taking over you had Kyrie, which took over the media we just cleared that whole saga and now we have this john morant one it's just it's never ending with these players, but we'll see what happens. I I'm very excited to see what happens in the West. But to kind of wrap things up, you know, where do we think it's going? Uh, who do we think landed the best trade here? I mean, it's pretty easy. It's pretty easy to say oh the Knicks because they haven't lost since they really? got Josh Hart. But in all seriousness, the whole trade I think the Suns getting Durant. I mean, long term might look a little iffy but for right now that's going to be a real really hard duo to stop and then that's not even counting DeAndre Aiden and Chris Paul so yeah I don't want to be boring but I mean I, I said this in the studio before Same. <laughs> it, 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 I mean if there's somebody that if there's one team that really increased their um I mean or I I guess I, could, I should say get got, got closer to their goals yeah. it would definitely be the Phoenix Suns with their acquisition of Kevin Durant and obviously there have been other teams that have benefited from their own trades, but I don't think there has been that big of a blockbuster Batman, I guess you could say, trade other than that Phoenix Suns deal. And I think that that may transformed them from a team that were like, 
eh, I don't know if they're really going to make it that far in the playoffs because of what happened last year to be like, oh, well, now they're a title contender. Now they're probably mm-hmm. title favorites, you know, if you just go by straight betting odds. Yeah, I mean, I hate to be boring too, but I think the Suns as well. All right, I'll change my answer. Josh Hart. <laughs> Josh Hart's a trade deadline. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Suns as well. James Jones said himself what they wanted to add during this trade deadline was shooting. And look, they got a guy who is KD. He's arguably one of the best shooters. He is a guy who can get a shot, and no matter the situation, no matter who's defending him, I think they had a really good trade. And, I mean, to me, that's short-term, but we could talk long-term, too. Long-term, who do you think got a good trade? Like, where do you see, like, the best long— Like, five years from now, who do you think made out the best during this trade deadline? I'll let you go first. It seems like you— that that is that is it's really hard. A, it's I don't, hard to think of the big picture because there's you know so much going on. But and we don't know you know what these what these picks are going to turn out to be. That's that's another thing. That's true. So, I mean, you can wow. say the Nets. I, was, I mean, <laughs> I'm biased. I'm biased, but I'm I mean, if we're term. talking long term here, then yeah, give it like six six, six years. Yeah, all those picks. I mean, six years we got it, guys. All these sophomores in high school are going to be really good <laughs> for the Nets. Uh, Start scouting them out. Yeah, I mean, I. I don't think anyone even remembers this trade, but I do like the Pistons getting James Wiseman because I do think he is an interesting player. I mean, literally the number two overall pick, and everyone forgets about it. So maybe that could work in a change mm-hmm. of scenery, and when you get Cade back, that could be an interesting duo. He's I out like of the that. spotlight now uh, of you know Draymond on the floor coaching him every five seconds, and just being on the Warriors is a whole other thing. So I would say the Nets, but, I mean, for a fun one, James Wiseman yeah. on the Pistons. See, I obviously was going to say the Nets. That comes from yeah. a little bit of bias. I want to see it happen, but you never know. I mean, we just had a super team, and we watched that crumble. So who knows? Even if they get some great picks six years down the line, how long it will last. <laughs> what yeah, I think, I mean, I, I'm looking through all the trades that happened. I, I thought about, actually, another team in the James Wiseman deal. I thought about the Warriors. They got a few, you know, picks from that. They got Gary Payne the second. And then now I'm looking out. And they got the- Kevin Knox. They did get Kevin Knox <laughs> and five second <laughs> Another round Another Kevin Knox reference today. Uh, uh, Kevin Knox is worth as much of a bag of chips. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, now looking at looking at all the picks the Nets got, I don't know, man. I think by, by 2027 20, and, you know, 2028 20, or, you know, whatever whatever the year is, I think that pick is going to be worth something. So It's crazy that you even think that far in advance with it, this league, though. It, like, those I, are the trades we're getting here. Like, we're planning, like, 2028. 20, I mean, So if you want to think really, really long, long term, you know, by then Mikael Bridges will probably be, like, 32 or something. I, I guess you will have to say that that is, <laughs> you know, the, the, the long-term winner. But it's weird because we literally said the other team is a short-term winner. Listen, when when, when uh, Bronny James is putting up 40 points yeah. in Barclays, <laughs> so I think we'll all be fine. Listen, I mean, I'm going to be like 30 years old, and I'm going to text you guys and be like, I told you so. Look at the Nets. <laughs> Finally, this is our year. But, I mean, I think that's about it for this episode of Pick and Pod. I am your host, Riley Lucas. I was joined here with Joe Masters and Will Jing. Pick and Pod is a production of WFUV Sports and your source of all Knicks, Nets, and NBA news. Continue to tune in, and next week we will be back with another episode. Thanks for listening.